Thanks for joining us for episode 13 of the Pop Punk Project. As always, I am your host, Keenan. What's going on, Keenan? I'm your other co-host, Mike. As Keenan mentioned, this is episode 13, a very unlucky number, and we are in the middle of spooky season. Yes, we are. So we thought, what better way to celebrate than with My Chemical Romance's album, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Spooky. <laughs> So let's stage dive in to our graves. <laughs> ah! Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge was the second studio album released by Newark, New Jersey's own my Chemical Romance, back on June 8th, 2004. It was put out by Reprise Records, and at the time of the recording and release, the band was comprised of Frank Hierro on guitars and backing vocals, Matt Pellissier on drums and percussion, Ray Toro on guitars and backing vocals, Gerard Way on vocals, and his brother Mikey Way on the bass guitar. The album was produced by Howard Benson, it was, as we all know, a humongous success for both the band and the label. The record produced several radio singles and popular MTV videos, including I'm Not Okay, I Promise, Helena, and The Ghost of You. Those were the, the really big ones. It was certified platinum less than a year after its release and has since sold over 3 million copies in the United States. Whoa, that's huge. It was certified platinum less than a year after its release? That's got to be one of the fastest-selling albums to platinum in the pop-punk genre. It's definitely up there. The singles from this album really, to my memory, were everywhere. Yeah, they took off. They had a different look than most of the bands of their day. Definitely more gothic, uh, more theatric. So I think their videos especially really helped them gain a following. Yeah, it's kind of like Good Charlotte. On the Good Charlotte episode, we talked about how it was one of the first times we saw people dressing in goth outfits. My Chemical Romance was the same exact way. They were always in dark clothes, in graphic attire. I think Good Charlotte talked the talk, but MCR also walked the walk. That's a great way to put it, yeah. It was released in June 2004. Mike, what in the world was going on then? So much good stuff, Keenan. On June 1st, Norway becomes the world's second nation after Ireland, to ban smoking in all bars and restaurants. And we've mentioned before that some of these news articles seem to be later in the timeline of when they should have been put in place. I always thought smoking being banned in bars and restaurants would have happened somewhere before 2004, but I came to realize there are still a ton of states in the U.S. that don't have statewide smoking bans. To me, that's actually earlier than I was expecting, because I feel like there are some bars out there that still allow smoking. I thought this happened way later, but I guess you and I probably would not have known that considering we weren't in uh, any bars at that age. Although I do remember going to restaurants and they would ask you if you want to go to the smoking or non-smoking section. Right. That's such a weird concept now. It was so normal back then. Which definitely made a difference. Of course it did. I remember we went to Chili's one time and we sat in the non-smoking section, but it was the first row of booths over from the smoking section. Mm. So it's like... So you get the goods. Yeah. You think the 
the steaming fajitas are exciting. We had smoke <laughs> in our face all night. <laughs> Little Mike just wafting it in, <laughs> just enjoying it. <laughs> it was a quicker wait to go to the smoking section. That much I remember, but the Clarks, we avoided that area. So did we. On June 2nd, some Jeopardy news, Mike. I know you love Jep. Ken Jennings begins his 74-game winning streak on the syndicated game show. That was legendary, Keenan. It was legendary. Ken Jennings has retained the crown of Jeopardy's greatest champion. I think it was last summer he competed against James Halsenheimer, that gambler, professional gambler. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's pronounced Halsenheimer, but yeah. <laughs> you know his real last name? I don't know. He's old news at this point. And then that local guy who stunk on ice. Yeah, he was bad. Got his name. And now Ken's actually playing a role in Jeopardy, too. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are saying that he's going to take over for Trebek when Trebek eventually moves on, which is a sad thought, but I can't think of anybody else to fill those shoes. I think he's definitely earned it. I agree. Most of the time, game show hosts are just famous. He was famous for being on a game show. So June 4th, this is an interesting one, Keenan. Marvin Heemeyer goes on a rampage with a 50-ton armor-plated bulldozer in Granby, Colorado, resulting in 13 buildings destroyed and $7 million in damage. I do remember this story. I remember seeing the news footage of it. I don't think it was at the time. I don't think I actually saw it happening live, but I remember seeing this on YouTube years later. It was crazy. He put armor plates on the bulldozer. He essentially turned it into a tank, and he just drove through the town and destroyed everything. And if I remember correctly, it was in response to some petty dispute with town officials. Like there was some land ordinance that he apparently was violating or some sort of sewage removal. And for months and months, they didn't see eye to eye. And his reaction was to plate up this bulldozer and just destroy everything. And I think he eventually killed himself, didn't he? From what I read, I think he eventually became trapped within one of the buildings he was tearing down. And I think he committed suicide so geez i mean it was just property damage so yeah that's something that you can watch the video and not feel too bad about you know you hope everything was repaired thanks to insurance but insurance mike what type of claim is that huh? <laughs> it's a big one that's for sure <laughs> they actually made a documentary about it and i haven't had a chance to watch it but i know our buddy chris said it was pretty good good friend of the show chris ebers yeah he mentioned that it was a great doc it's called Tread, and I think it should be on Netflix, so that's one I want to check out. On June 5th, uh, Michael, some sad Philly news. Total blow for the city of Philadelphia. At the Belmont Stakes, Birdstone upset Smarty Jones to prevent Smarty Jones from winning the Triple Crown. I remember that being a very sad day for everybody in Philly. It was sad. I actually, I still have it. My dad stopped at one of those gas station t-shirt stands oh, i love those they pop up every football season or every election season you find some good swag there yeah and he came home with smarty jones shirts for my sister and i <laughs> wow this is a big and deal it, just, it said philly's champion on it oh that's so sad and at the time there hadn't been a triple crown winner for decades since right. then two horses have actually won it so it's really not that big of an accomplishment now i think american pharaoh and then the course after American Farah, who did it the next year. So nobody remembers that horse. But Not even a big deal these days, Mike. How lame. Poor Smarty Jones. Is, 
I wonder if Smarty Jones is still alive. I think he is because every once in a while, I and by every once in a while, I mean the three horse races that everybody watches every year. Mm. They'll say who the fathers are. <laughs> it's like yeah, what do they call those studs? Mari, but for horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now he's basically just kept around to just bang female horses. Yep. <laughs> Tough life. <laughs> <laughs> if that was your only purpose in life, then you know. But yeah, so every once in a while you'll see this horse was some lineage of Smarty Jones. And then on June 8th, some Nickelodeon news. Hey Arnold ended after nearly eight years on air. So there's eight seasons of Hey Arnold? Yeah, it started in October of 96, I believe. So I'm not sure if that means eight seasons or like how much they spread out the episodes. Yeah. Either way, that's a much longer run than I had expected. Yeah. That's a great show, though. That's one of my favorite cartoons back then. Yeah, it was a great show. A lot of great characters. Helga Pataki. All the residents of the boarding house. Yeah. There was so many good secondary characters on that show that really made it worth watching. Some of the best moments. Stoop kids afraid to leave the stoop. That was the best episode, right? Stoop kids an all-timer. Yeah. I also like the one where Oscar Kakashia is trying to learn how to read. Oscar Kakashia, that's right. Yeah. Eddie just says, see the kitty. Pet the kitty. Good kitty. Oh, you have a special guest behind you. What's up, Abs? Oh, hi, Keenan. What up? I don't want to be on the show. Well, you're on it. <laughs> Ask her how dress shopping was. Hi, Keenan. I love Keenan. Wait. Oh, how was dress shopping? It's going to be black. Black? What did she go to a funeral? It's like a My Chemical Romance wedding. What? Uh, My Chemical Romance. Oh, welcome to the Black Parade? No. No, three cheers for sweet revenge. Is that the first one? Helena? Second one. Yep, Helena. And I'm not I'm okay. Not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say so, you know. I like Welcome to the Black Parade. That's like one of my favorite songs. Ask Abby if she wants to come on that episode. Do you want to come on that episode? No. Why not? Why not? <laughs> what am I going to say? I like that song. That's yeah, basically that's, what we say. That's what all we say in so many words. <laughs> yeah, that's all we say. Okay. She's good. All right. That's fair. Podcast John. Okay. Classic Abby interruption. Pretty big MCR fan for not knowing anything about them. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Just dropped like five songs. <laughs> oh, I love that song. <laughs> I like that critique, that commentary. Who would you say is your favorite secondary Hey Arnold character? I don't know, but one that I remember that I loved, and I think he was in maybe one or two episodes, was Dino Spumoni. Do you remember him? <laughs> Dino Spumoni was yeah. great. <laughs> I think him. You better not touch my gal. Or I'll punch you in the kiss of power. He was the singer, yeah. Yeah. He was like the lounge singer. In the same vein of Dina Spumoni, uh, Mickey K-Line, the washed up baseball star. Oh, yeah. Arnold finds out he has this hot dog place in town, so he goes to get his baseball card signed or baseball signed, and this guy is just a fat yeah. boozer just chowing down on hot dogs every day. He's like, hey, kid, that's not me. That's not me, kid. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> We had a fan of the show call in, uh, Chris Ebers, fan of the show. His favorite is Stinky Peterson. Oh, Stinky. You remember Stinky? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Arnold. I'm just trying to get this here ball into this here cup. Hey, Arnold also did a really good job of getting you to feel emotion. Yeah. The one where they went to the aquarium and that old sea turtle lockjaw was just past his prime and kept in captivity. Yeah. Sad one. I have two more of my favorite episodes. The one where Arnold and Gerald play hooky to go to the amusement park, but they get stuck on the roller coaster all day. Yeah. yeah. And then they 
finally get off and go back to school to find out that they missed a surprise school carnival. Yeah. Oh, these are so good. I want to go back and watch all of them. That's definitely worth a rewatch. I hope I don't find out that it doesn't hold up. Maybe we shouldn't watch it, just to be safe. Maybe not. And one final thought, and I think about this often, because when you're a kid, you don't understand adult life in many ways, but it was one where, I forget his name, I think maybe Mr. Simmons, it was a substitute teacher that was teaching their class, and they just treated him like crap, and... The whole day, he just kept saying, at least I have my sandwich to look forward to at lunch. And then I think Harold ate his sandwich oh. and he just started crying. <laughs> I always thought that that guy was a loser. But now being in the workforce, like all you have every day is just <laughs> what am I going to have for lunch? But now being the loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need that lunch. That warm tuna sandwich you have in your brown paper bag. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we have about two more hours of Hey Arnold discussion. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, welcome back to the Hey Arnold podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Once this runs its course, we'll just do an episode by episode Hey Arnold podcast. I'm good with that. That'll be fun. It'll be called Hey Podcast. Oh. Probably already exists. Yeah, it probably does. This one exists already, too. So who cares? June 9th, Keenan. This one is pretty silly. The village of Fuking, Austria... It's pronounced Fuking Keenan, but it's spelled F-U-C-K-I-N-G. Whoa, Michael. <laughs> Come on. That village votes to keep its name despite the cost of stolen traffic signs <laughs> and the possible embarrassment they face over its English meaning. Jeez. Do you know how many drunk bros are probably roaming the streets looking for their signs? That town has probably paid the same amount replacing traffic signs as that dude with the bulldozer caused in Colorado. Oh, that would be incredible. That was a pretty uh, pretty big price tag. At least $7 million worth of replaced Fuking Austria signs. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, good for them, though. Stick to your roots, you know? June 21st, Spaceship One becomes the first privately funded space plane to achieve space flight. Jesus, how many times can I say space in one sentence? <laughs> What's a space plane? <laughs> Why is that the headline? Hello, spaceman. Are you ready to <laughs> space out in space with us? <laughs> Why is that a headline? Well, anyway, that's pretty crazy, though. <laughs> Are you ready to space fly to the moon? <laughs> Why did they say space plane and not spaceship? <laughs> that threw me for a loop. But that is a big headline because today, that's the talk of the town, Mike. Private space trips. Yeah, it's the only way we're going to get anything done anymore yeah thanks elon it is fun to have rocket launches to look forward to that's a good uniter do you think that's going to happen in our lifetime like we will be on a rocket ship in our lifetime maybe not us but the average jim and joe like us i hope not just because of the reasons why that would be happening <laughs> to get the heck Doesn't out of sound here sound pleasant <laughs> yeah. it would probably mean that life on this planet is very close to being uninhabitable so i mean don't you get that sense already, Mike? Yeah, I just try not to think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Fair enough. So who died this month, Keenan? Jeez. <laughs> well, I can tell you. I got a couple. June 5th, former U.S. President Ronald Reagan dies at the ripe age of 93 from complications of Alzheimer's disease, which is pretty sad. I do remember that. That was really sad. Is there something that some magic drug they give presidents to make them live forever? Yeah. They all live very long. 
George H.W. just passed away recently, and, you know, towards the end he wasn't looking great, but he was still at a pretty good age. Jimmy Carter's still kicking. Yeah, he's still out there. Still building houses. I'd say the last quarter of the 20th century, Reagan, Bush, Carter, Clinton. Yeah. It's funny because you see how presidents age in office. Like if you look at Obama and even Trump, you can see like the job takes its toll on them. I'm just surprised that they still live years and years and years after they get out of office. I know. It is pretty incredible. Although there are a couple presidents from the past that uh, probably would not agree with that. But, you know. And then on June 10th, musician Ray Charles dies from liver failure. It's a big musician. It's America's game. The one and only Powerball. Is that something he did? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember those commercials? <laughs> Not really, no. That's his, that's his legacy. Oh, okay. That's his legacy. <laughs> uh, let's get some happy thoughts out, Mike. Big celebrity wedding. June 5th, actress musician Jennifer Lopez weds salsa artist Mark Anthony in Beverly Hills. Unfortunately, one that didn't make it either. Are we ever going to find a celebrity marriage that has stood the test of time? I guess everybody other than Melissa Joan Hart and Mark Wilkerson, right? <laughs> yeah, Mark Wilkerson, yeah. The one who wrote the Daltrey song. What do you think led the news that day? The wedding of J-Lo and Mark Anthony or President Reagan's death? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Celebrity marriage, Mike. <laughs> I think so. Everybody loves those. As a former actor... I don't think Ronald Reagan would want it any other way. That's exactly right, Mike. When I die, Entertainment Tonight better lead with J-Lo getting married. Our repeatable news organization, Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> In terms of themes from this album, this one is a bit different than the ones we've explored in the past, Keenan. It's a bit of a concept album. And you come across these every once in a while. It's a pretty cool way to look at the songs on an album. I think for the most part, we're going to try to veer away from that just because otherwise we would spend hours and hours and hours trying to dissect this, which quite frankly, we just don't have that kind of time. It's true. So what was the concept? So according to Gerard Way, the album can be understood as a pseudo conceptual horror story Ooh. that details the story of a man and a woman who are separated by death in a gunfight. He goes on to hell only for the devil to tell him that his love is still alive. The devil says he can be with her again if he brings the devil the souls of a thousand evil men. So the man agrees to it. The devil hands him a gun, and then he goes back to life to try to fulfill this pact with the devil. Yeah, Mikers, I like to call it classic Tuesday night. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the idea behind the concept. But according to Way, the record ended up being more about loss in real life than anything else. So it's kind of a good mix. My question is, did you always know that that was the overarching narrative? Because to be honest, I had no clue. And I know that you were a bigger fan of this album, but did you know that that was the story behind the album? I did. I never really read too far into it just because I really just enjoyed listening to the songs at face value. I didn't really need a backstory to make me enjoy the album or to look for clues. Right. The main reason I realized it was mostly because their first album was also based around a similar concept, and a line from one of their songs on that album is, A Thousand Bodies Piled Up I Never Thought Would Be Enough. Mm. And I think they might actually expand on the story and the liner notes of both their first and this album. So 
they weren't like secretive that it, there was some storyline going on. And, you know, if you look at the lyrics, we'll come to find they're not your average lyrics. Yeah, that's for sure. So I picked up on just some general themes that you could take from the album if you didn't know that deeper story. The one big one that I think is very obvious in almost every single one of the songs is the relationship between love and death. They have this morbid obsession with death that I think they discuss in pretty much every song. There's mentions of people dying, there's graves, there's funerals. It's just over and over and over again. It comes up very consistently. And if it's not death, then it's showing life in very bleak ways. Yeah. And the love part is, well, what do you do with love when your significant other dies? Does that love continue to go on or, or does it end there? Can you ever achieve love again after the death of a loved one? It's, it's all sort of baked into it, which is kind of cool. But it also is just like, it makes it a really dark album because of that. When I think of this album, I think of Halloween. I think of the movie Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know why, but that always makes me think of this album. Uh, I just think of like creepy, gothic, morbid things like that. Yeah, vampires and cemeteries. Skeletons. You know, Halloween stuff. Wearing all black and doing choreographed dances. That's classic, yeah, exactly. And then the second theme is, outside of all the morbid stuff, which again is very obvious, is just being who you are. I think a message they tried to get across was, it's okay to be different. And bullies and haters might try to get you down, but it's important to rise above that. They were one of those bands that had a good message behind their music. It's okay to be weird. You're right, they did. I think this band, if you got past the surface of they wear eyeshadow, they dress differently, some of their songs relate to violence, which I think was a turnoff for some people and probably to a greater extent parents of you know younger age kids that were listening to this album at the time. But if you actually take the time to look at the band as people and dissect the songs or listen to the songs, you will find that their underlying message is it's okay to be weird or kooky or, you know, the kid at school with piercings or red hair or whatever. Red hair? Is that a shot of gingers? No. (laughs) You know, the weird kooky kids. the The dyed red hair. It's okay, to, it's okay to be kooky, pale with red hair. <laughs> it's okay to have piercings or tattoos or purple hair. <laughs> Good save. Well, yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever, weirdo. <laughs> it's okay to be a redhead. Dude, that one guy in the van has the crazy frizzy hair. I know. I'm sure he appreciated that message. <laughs> yeah, who's the, he has the sideshow bob hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, you ready for a cool tidbit here, Mike? Yeah, I'd love a cool tidbit. I know that you love tidbits. You also love bacon bits. Yeah. <laughs> you know what makes a salad better? Bacon bits. <laughs> Definitely bacon bits. You know what makes a salad not a salad anymore? Bacon bits. <laughs> when I go to Salad Works, I have them fill the big metal bowl just with bacon bits <laughs> and then sprinkle in some lettuce. Drown it in ranch. Yeah. Okay, back to the tidbit. <laughs> In 2015, Gerard Way revealed on Reddit that he is a cousin of comedian Joe Rogan. And then it took, I guess it took four years for Joe Rogan to (laughs) admit that that is the case on his podcast. 
Gerard Way said that despite that, they have actually never met. So, Mike, I was thinking, as podcasters and as pop punkers, maybe we're the bridge between the two. Maybe we can bridge this gap and unite them finally once and for all. I think the world needs to know if Gerard Way has ever tripped on acid. And the only person <laughs> to ask him that would be Joe Rogan. <laughs> He'll be able to pull it out of him. Do you want to do some PCP? I do like listening to Joe Rogan, but I think the conversation almost always reverts back to what drugs the guest has done. Yeah, that's true. That's a big part of it. I'm not really sure one way or the other, but I wonder if Gerard Way and these guys are more straight edge or if they got into like some drugs. Because they talk a lot about substances and stuff like that, but I could also see them being, you know, they just never drank or never did drugs. Gerard Way is sort of in recovery, I'm pretty sure. I think he had issues with drinking and with prescription pills. And he said a while ago that he was sober and doing better. Uh, and I think he actually said more recently that he can enjoy a casual drink from time to time. But I know that he struggled with it in the past. Well, that answers that question. To answer your original thought, yes, I absolutely think we should be the bridge between them. We'll have our people reach out to their people. So I think we covered, Mike, that you are a little bit more familiar with this album than I am. You listened to it a lot more in middle school, high school than I did. What's your first experiences with it? I first saw the I'm Not Okay music video. That was my first introduction to the band. And I just fell in love with that song. I thought the music video was a cool concept. The song was catchy as hell. And there was something very intriguing about these guys. Like I mentioned earlier, they were different than the bands I listened to at the time. I definitely wanted to check out more of their stuff. This was the first album I bought by them, and I just really enjoyed it. And from there, I checked out their first album, and then they released The Black Parade. But at the time of this album's release, they were probably one of my top bands. I would listen to this album all the time. I love the music videos. And then it kind of became uncool to listen to them once we got into high school. Yeah, that's definitely true. There was a bit of a stigma attached to them, and... Unfortunately, I wish I had had the, the confidence to really not care at the time. I mean, I still listen to them, but I wasn't going to wear like a My Chemical Romance shirt to school or anything like that. Eyeshadow. Yeah, I, I never wore the eyeshadow. I never got that far into the act. But Yeah, I think you were the one who actually got me into My Chemical Romance. I knew a lot of the famous songs, but I wasn't super into them. I think you being a fan and you listening to them and you talking about them got me even more interested in them. They were probably one of the bands we listened to on the bus going to and from the prep together. I think you're right, but on a low because we don't want people to judge us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had four or five songs that we listened to consistently on bus rides. Yeah. Didn't we share headphones? We did. We shared our earbuds. Yeah. I'm sure fun. some people might have gotten the wrong idea, but it was just fun to jam out together. Yeah, it was. Look at our podcast logo. We pretty much look like that every day on the bus. That was just us. Yeah. Except I had a little bit more hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was earbuds. We didn't stretch the headphones over both of our heads. <laughs> and just had our, our heads clumped together. <laughs> yeah. Although there were some days, you know. Track number one, Helena.
one of the bigger songs off this album, Keenan. An interesting note about how they released this one. It was the third single they released off the album, but the second single they released in the U.S. Over in the U.K., they actually released Thank You for the Venom as their second single. Oh, wow. That's different. Yeah. So over here in the States, it was I'm Not Okay and then Helena. But in the U.K., it was I'm Not Okay and then Thank You for the Venom. So not sure why they did that. This was a big way to open the album. And this is their death song. It's funny, I'm seeing a trend with all these pop punk and emo bands. Every single band has one death song. My Chemical Romance, as we'll find out, actually has a lot more than that. But They have one song that isn't a death song. That's more their trend. But this is their biggest death song, and I think it's their most poignant death song. And to them, it's probably very important. Because isn't this about Gerard and Mikey Way's grandmother? I believe so. This song also really demonstrated their range. Like we mentioned, I'm Not Okay was the way a lot of people were first introduced to this band. To hear this song as the next single they released, it's a complete departure from I'm Not Okay. You know, I'm Not Okay is this pop punk, great song. Very upbeat. This is way more moody, slow, melodramatic. It's creepier. It's gloomier. I don't know if they use I'm Not Okay to reel people in and then bam, hit them with this is who we really are as a band because this is more in line with the rest of the songs on this album. Well, if you listen to the album straight through, I mean, this sets the tone for who they really are. I actually think that I'm Not Okay is the departure on the album. This is actually their sound. The rest of the album is pretty creepy, is pretty sad, is disturbing at times, and I think this sets the tone. So like you said, I do, at least on a personal level, relate this song to the death of a loved one. And there are a lot of lines throughout the song that elicit that emotion for me, especially the line, uh, things are better if I stay. I think that was one that always stood out as you're thinking in terms of everything's about to change with this person leaving you, passing on to the next life. It is more broadly about how a death of a loved one can really rupture a family and have a lasting impact. And then you're dealing with the repercussions of that person leaving. And throughout the song, you can tell that Gerard Way has a personal connection because he's so much more emotional than singers that we're used to. It almost sounds like he's literally about to cry at different points in the song. Yeah, the different inflections he uses with his voice contribute a lot to these songs. I know we've discussed death songs in the past, but one thing that I think differentiates this one is it involves the singer contemplating what happens in death there are lines can you hear me are you near me can we pretend to leave and then we'll meet again off the top of my head i can't remember another song that other than saying you're in a better place actually goes further in trying to understand what happens in death it's definitely more complex than other death songs it's definitely beyond what other artists have tried to do when discussing death. I think you're totally right about that. And then the music video. Remember the music video? I think it has 120 million views on YouTube right now. That's an insane number. That's how popular this was. It was very theatrical. I guess you could say over the top. The setting was a funeral where it was Helena's funeral. And Gerard Way is speaking at the front of the church at a podium. 
and the song starts very low and slow. And then when Gerard says, burning on, just like a match, it kind of explodes. And the funeral, the sad dreariness of the funeral melts away, and there's all these people dancing. It's still sad. It's still a funeral setting. It's definitely weird, but I, I always enjoyed it. It's a really cool video, and it's pretty morose. And I think the story behind it, according to Gerard Way, members of the band, is it's not about their grandmother. It's about a girl who died tragically, possibly in a car accident or something like that. So Gerard Way and the guys in the band had this whole planned out story that they wanted to tell with the music video, which was different than a lot of the contents of the song, but still worked. My favorite part of the music video is when the corpse climbs out of the casket. She wakes up. Yeah, very creepy. And does a dance solo yeah. down the aisle of the church. It's like a ballet routine. And then re-dies. She killed herself with ballet. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. too much for her heart to take. The line, when both our cars collide, her eyes go wide and she just falls back again. Yeah. Wow. Well, I wonder if she's reminded of the car accident that killed her. It could That's be. probably what it is. And then we flash to outside the church. The members of the band are pallbearers carrying the casket to the hearse. That's right, yeah. In the rain, right? In the rain, of course. Black umbrellas, Keenan. It reminded me, does an umbrella have any connection to the guys in this band? Hmm. Umbrella Academy, Mike? That's where I was going. Good connection. That's Gerard Way's show on Netflix. You love that show, right? Um, I have never seen it, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to. It's on my list of things to, to watch, but it looks really good. And it's a huge hit. It was a graphic novel he wrote and then developed into that show. So I don't know why I haven't watched it yet. I've loved everything these guys have done, honestly. We'll see throughout this album that Gerard Way is influenced by literature, comic books, graphic novels. It comes up several times throughout this. And that's one of the cool things about him. He just consumes all those different works and incorporates it into his music. Uh, I actually saw a video earlier of him doing some, it was some interview in a comic book store and he was going through all the different comic books he's read and there's tons and tons of them. He's like obsessed with this type of stuff. So that's pretty cool. I think I read that he actually was an animator prior to starting the band. So that connection to art and comics makes a whole lot of sense. The last thing I want to say about this song is that it was also featured on the soundtrack of the 2005 remake, massive hit Mike, House of Wax, oh, starring Chad Michael Murray, Paris Hilton, Robert Richard, is that how you pronounce his name? I think he was in My Cousin Skeeter. I think we can probably stop after the first two. <laughs> yeah. Dude, do you remember that movie? Incredible. I never watched it. Just when you said it, it made me cringe. Oh, it's so good. I remember watching it with R.J. Lewis at his shore house. We watched it together. It's fantastic. One of the best horror films ever made. That's the second R.J. shout out as we had the epiphany that he turned us on to GC. I know. And he turned me on to House of Wax. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of those. Well, actually, no. Both of those stuck with you. Track number two. Give him hell, kid.
This is a great upbeat second song, Keenan. Okay. Is it though? Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. The intro had a more raw punk open than a lot of their songs. It sounded a lot to me like an anti-flag song. Just like a faster, harder punk rock song. Yeah, they kind of hit you with a punch of upbeat guitars and drums and then Gerard comes in with Oh baby, here comes the sound. That's right. So you better get ready for the sound. I'm ready. Actually I don't know if I'm ready. To me, I always thought that this song was about missing an ex, but I think following Helena, I think could also be about missing somebody who's passed away. It's almost like a follow-up song to Helena. What comes next after that? I would agree with that. I always interpreted it more as a departure in the more permanent sense. Regardless of if it's a death or relationship that has ended, I think it does capture the darkest part of somebody's grieving process. It's like this person is hitting rock bottom they don't know what to do with themselves, and now they have to try to overcome that. There are tons of lines about this person going through a frenzy of emotions. And there's one part in particular where it sounds like they're almost entering a fugue state where he's singing and he's saying, well, don't I look pretty walking down the street in the best damn dress I own? And obviously Gerard Way is a man who's singing that. So I picture a guy who's wearing a dress, walking down the street, confused, it made me think of that one scene from Breaking Bad, the one scene where Walter White has the fugue state and he walks into the grocery store in his underwear or naked or something. And right, right. that was the first time I heard what a fugue state was. But I imagine that Gerard Way is going through something very similar here where he essentially just loses his mind and loses his person. Kind of reminds me of, I mean, it's been memed in the ground, but that scene from The Dark Knight with the Joker dressed as a nurse. Oh, yeah. Walking away from the hospital that's about to explode. That's right, yeah. I can see that too, yeah. It's funny because I always heard that lyric as the best damn tux I own. No, you actually thought that or you would just sing that? It's just one of those things that became, it is what it is to me. Hmm. You're just kind of hearing what you want to hear. Yeah. Dress and tux. Hmm. I know, exactly. That's why I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? I honestly thought it was tux. Oh, that's weird. It could be Tux. Actually, yeah, you're kind of right. It could be. It's kind of hard to tell. It's a little bit muffled. I'm sure dresses in the liner notes and whatnot. Obviously, those are the lyrics. And that completely changes. Well, here's why. I always thought it was Tux. And this line always went through my head when I was getting ready for like a prom or a dance. This one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, the fun My Chemical Romance party song. <laughs> no, just, well, again, the line I heard was Tux. Right, yeah. And so while I'm getting dressed, I'm like walking out, getting ready for pictures. Like, don't I look pretty walking down the street in the best damn tux I own? Don't you remember us rocking out to the song, walking down the aisle to your wedding? I remember. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Really uh, captured the mood. It was played on an organ, though. It was, yeah. How <laughs> fitting. Track number three, To the End.
before we go any further, Keenan, I need to give a quick shout out to our fan of the pod, Leah Miller. I was texting with her earlier. I told her we were going to be doing this album, and this is her favorite song. On the album or ever? On the album. But Michael McGromance was a band that my sister, me, and then our friend Sam and Leah always love listening to together. So, What up, Leah? She listens every week, so I thought I had to give her a shout out on one of her favorite albums. That's great. Yeah, she is a frequent commenter on the Instagram. Very grateful to have her as a listener. It makes posting all of this worthwhile because somebody interacts with us. <laughs> it's so thanks, Leah. It's uh, Leah and your parents. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. pretty much it right now. But <laughs> well, do you know what this song is about? Because I think I found out the deep meaning behind it, and it's interesting. The short answer is no. I think. In listening through this album, I've come to find that I've attributed my own meanings to a lot of these songs. As one does. I know there's a ton of stuff going on, you know, whether it's telling that story we discussed earlier or there's just way more lines in these songs than other songs. They rarely repeat lines or repeat verses. It's an ever-moving album, in my opinion. But I would be curious to know what you found out. It's taking me back to the Good Charlotte episode when you went on that Edgar Allan Poe tangent, which was very interesting. But I did find out that it's widely believed to be based off of the short story by William Faulkner, A Rose for Emily. And just to give you the quick spark notes from what I quickly read online, it's a story about this this southern antebellum family, the young woman in the family, her father dies, And he was very controlling when he was alive. He wouldn't let her date. He wouldn't let her marry. And he finally dies. And finally, finally, get out of here. Finally, I can date. She doesn't let anybody bury his body. She keeps the dead corpse in the house. And then she essentially becomes a recluse. She grows old. She's sort of dating this guy. There's implications that he's gay and doesn't ever want to marry her. And then one day this guy goes missing and people are snooping around the house. and There's all these weird smells and... People just don't know what to believe. And finally, when she ends up dying, they eventually go in her house. They bury her. The funeral is this big ceremony because everybody wants to know who this woman was because she was a shut-in. And then they eventually get access to the house and they find a dead, decaying body in her bed and an imprint of a woman's body next to it, implying that she had been sleeping with this corpse for years. And it was the not the corpse of her father, but the corpse of this potentially homosexual man that she kept around. And so they all just assume that she poisoned him and let him die and then just kept him around. And so it's very creepy. And when you go through a lot of the lines in the song, it's a direct one-to-one correlation. Just a quick few that I'm going to rattle off. If you marry me, would you bury me? Would you carry me to the end? Say goodbye to the life you make. Say goodbye to the heart you break and all the cyanide you drank. They assume that she poisoned this man with cyanide, potentially her father too. He calls the mansion not a house but a tomb. He's always choking from the stench and the fume. That's when the body was decaying and everybody was smelling it coming from the house. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these weird themes of death and resistance to change and how this dad who controlled this woman had these crazy repercussions and I think that's what they're trying to address in this song. It's just really dark and really eerie. There's also the line, he's not around, he's always looking at men. That was another big one. It's all related to the story, but what we mentioned earlier about Gerard Way's fascination with literature 
he was probably a huge fan of William Faulkner's short stories and gravitate towards this. And he loved dark fiction. He loved creative ways to adapt it into his own works. I read a Rose family at some point in a literature class. And I do remember really enjoying it mostly because it was different. You know, it was kind of crazy and creepy and, and whatnot. Yeah. I think the only other thing I've ever read by William Faulkner was as I lay dying, which I don't remember liking at all. So I don't think it was as exciting as this one. No, <laughs> I'll stick to his short stories <laughs> yeah. as well. I also think if you marry me, would you bury me? Would you carry me to the end is a nice little spin on until death do us part. Mm, yeah, it's true. Track number four, Keenan. You know what they do to guys like us in prison? What do they do? Oh, boy. It's not fun. I'll tell you that much. Is this our first prison song on the pod, Keenan? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> as it relates to prison or what? Like, <laughs> about prison? I think so, yeah. I'm just trying to make conversation about the song. <laughs> Why? You don't want to dive into what it's about? I think it's another cool story song, to be honest. It is. It's, it's actually fascinating. Well, the story as I see it is the guy commits a crime. He's arrested. He's sent to prison. And then... He obviously has to deal with prison life. And in the chorus, I think they get really explicit about what prison life entails. And you can listen to it, but it's a little vulgar. They do have these very specific references to prison punishments, though. They talk about the electric chair. They say, will they give me the chair or lethal injection or swing from a rope if you dare? They talk about all these different outcomes. This guy's just in prison thinking about how's his life going to end in there. Honestly, he probably wants it to end based on what he's dealing with. It also reminds me, though, Mike, of back when we were little and he got in trouble. Did your parents have like a classic punishment that they had for you and your sister if you guys did something really bad? Yeah. Not the worst thing that you did as a kid, but what was like the worst punishment that if you did something bad, you're like, oh, no, I hope we don't have to do that. It was usually no food or water for three days. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Good old spank on the hiney. (laughs) No, we, we weren't a spanking family. Yeah, we weren't either. We were a scold-talking-to sort of family. Uh, sometimes that's worse, isn't it? When they're not mad, they're just disappointed. That's the worst. Yeah, I think we're very similar in the sense that we probably were so filled with Irish Catholic guilt. <laughs> yeah, we were. That our parents didn't have to do too no. much to move that along within our minds. Honestly, I usually just got to go to your room and then just hung out there for a little while until they told me to come back down and apologize so then you just lock yourself in your room and blast my chemical romance (laughs) that's what i picture besides you know being sent to my room if there were something that was the cause of an issue like if it were a fight between my sister and i was there an item or like say nintendo 64 were we fighting over playing that if that were the case then they might take that away for a couple days or something like that and break it no we usually got it back okay (laughs) man that would be pretty baller though if they just decided to smash it 
office office space style in the backyard. Yeah, exactly. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster while we just look on in horror. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me hit you with this one, Mike. Whenever the Clark kids got in a lot of trouble, the one thing that our parents could do that it was like a dagger to the heart was we weren't allowed to watch TGIF on ABC. Do you remember TGIF? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. If we did something really bad, TGIF was being taken away, and that was like, that was the end of the world to us. It, that was a dark day. TV was a huge deal as a kid. TV was big. TV and video games. If they took those away, it was basically the end of all fun. Right. Especially on Friday night, because when you're school-aged, you come home, you do your homework, and then probably go to bed pretty early. So Friday was the night for watching TV as a kid. I know. And I'm trying to think what was on TGIF. It was like... Home Improvement was a stable for a while. Full House, I think. Full House, I think, was on there. Was Boy Meets World on TGIF? Or was... I want to say Boy Meets World was on there for a time, too. It kind of had a good rotation, but it was always like an insane lineup of shows. I'm looking it up now, Keenan, just to see what other shows rounded up these lineups. Yep. Another big one is Family Matters. Oh, Steve yeah. Urkel. Classic. Did I do that? Speaking of secondary characters, Urkel wasn't even in the first couple episodes. Really? Wow, he became the star of the show. He really did steal the show. I think maybe after five or six episodes, they're like, we need more of this Urkel. Step by Step, another good one. Oh, I love that one. Stacey Keenan, my namesake. That's right. That's who you're <laughs> named after. Yeah. We loved her. Dinosaurs, Keenan. Remember that one? That Jim Henson production? Yeah, they were all creepy puppets. I remember It's that. actually pretty good. It was a great show. It was just weird. You see the... Final clip of that show shared online pretty often because it's very sad. It's, yeah. it's morbidly accurate to the direction in which we're headed in terms of our natural resources. Jesus, man. We'll post that in the show notes to lighten the mood <laughs> yeah. from this happy album. Yeah. Growing Pains, another one. I always liked watching that one. Growing Pains. Hmm. Wow. Alan Thick, Kirk Cameron, an early Leonardo DiCaprio. That's right. So, yeah, it was an all star lineup. So, when that gets taken away, Mike. It's bad news. The Clark parents had that in the arsenal, and they were not afraid to whip it out if we were misbehaving. Now, was that an all-for-one, one-for-all punishment? Like, I'm sure Chelsea probably was the perpetrator of most of these unspeakable acts. Oh, you know it. Yeah, she was the problem. Would you and Shane go down with her? Or would you and Shane get to enjoy TJF, go report to Chelsea how much you enjoyed it, and maybe in the future she would learn from her missteps. Yeah, it could have gone either way. There were times when the Clark had stuck together. And I, I remember some some big revolts when uh, we would two of us would argue against the parents trying to get the other one back uh, reinstated into TGIF. But no, if the other person deserved it, oh yeah, we were enjoying that without them for sure. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of politics involved here, Mike. I don't want to get into it. It was like House of Cards in the Clark household. You think I'm going to wait seven more days to watch this? And then, <laughs> yeah. God forbid if the stories had any sort of continuity, you know, know, there was no way for you to catch up on what you missed. No. You think your parents are going to tell you you can't watch it and then tape it for you? Heck no. 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 Dude, those VHSs were precious resources back then. <laughs> Gonna go into school on Monday and everybody's gonna know what happened to the dinosaurs except for you. <laughs> dinosaurs. One last thing before we move on, Keenan. I almost forgot about this. 
but this song actually has my tattoo lines. Ooh, everybody's favorite segment. Favorite lines on the album. What do you got? Life is but a dream for the dead. And well, I, I won't go down by myself, but I'll go down with my friends. Oh, that's a wholesome one. Maybe we should both get that one. It's dark, but then it's totally chill. Yeah, it like flips it on its head a little bit. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Where do you want to get it? Hold on. Let me get out my diagram. Okay, cool. Go ahead. How about on the inside of your, in the inside of your lip? Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Get on the inside right. of your lip. Yeah. Inside of my bottom lip. Yeah. But then it'll fade in like 10 years. I'll just keep getting it. I like that. Okay. Track number five. I'm not okay. I promise. This was the big one. It was the first single off the album. It's the one that helped MCR gain mainstream popularity. And I'll never forget that, Keenan. I'll always look back on this song very fondly for that reason. I remember my Aunt Susan, along with my dad, shout out Tim, my Aunt Susan and my cousin Allie, we would always go to the Good Charlotte concerts together. And Allison and I would subject our parents to listening to Y100 in the car. And I remember one year, it was either Christmas or Thanksgiving, uh, my Aunt Susan came up to me and she's like, you know what song I love? And I said, My Chemical Romance? And she's like, yeah! Because this song had been a favorite of mine at that moment. So That's huge. It shows you the reach it has. You said your aunt was a huge fan of this? She loved this song, yeah. That's incredible to me. Because Allie and I always talked about Good Charlotte and then we were talking about new bands we were listening to. Right. And it was at one party when, you know, my dad and my aunt didn't really care, but on this one occasion, my Aunt Susan said, oh, you know what song I actually really do like? And it was this song. That's insane, because I would say out of all the bands we've discussed so far, I would say that My Chemical Romance is probably the least relatable to parents for whatever reason. Or maybe just the sound is the least attractive to people who are older than us. It's hard to imagine they would enjoy this music, is what I'm trying to say. I can see that on one hand, but Allie and her parents are kind of like, a metal family They're cool parents kind of i mean oh, her cool. parents love rush and iron maiden so oh this might not be too much of a shock for them nice okay well i appreciate that yeah That's great. Yeah, well, you're right. It was a huge hit. It was nominated for awards. It won awards at all the award shows. I don't know if it won a ton, but it was certainly nominated. I hate to admit this, Mike, but when I first heard this song, I didn't love it. There were just other pop punk songs that I liked more than this. There were bands that I got into more than this. And I had mentioned on the Taking Back Sunday episode 
it took time for a lot of the Tig Mac Sunday songs to really grow on me because it was a more emo sound. I think this was the same way. I wasn't really used to this type of sound. And so I didn't love it right away. Obviously, I love it now. And the more I listened to it, the more I listened to it with you, I was like, oh, yeah, this is really good. And this song in particular is really catchy. But it took me a little while. I'm glad you came around on that, Keenan. Like we said with Helena, the music video for this one, I think, is what really added to my enjoyment of this song. It's like a bad teen drama. It's presented like a movie trailer. Yeah, that's right. And throughout the entire video, spliced in, they have these cue cards or these words, you know, similar to this summer, the most epic picture, things like that. Yep. And this was interjected throughout the, the entire video. Talk about some words that a 14-year-old could relate to. If you ever felt alone, rejected, confused, lost, anxious, wrong, wronged, Mm. unclean, angry, ashamed, curious, or used. Whoa. Well, definitely when I think of you back then, the first one I think of is unclean. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe also ashamed, Ashamed. uh, wrong, (laughs) used, confused for sure, Uh, but very relatable. You're right. I don't know why this reminded me of, of that, but when you said unclean, do you remember when we first started having to change after gym like once we started smelling after gym they would make us change back well they definitely made you change yeah come on dude please you don't have to. <laughs> yeah i remember being in the locker room with you yes up until third or fourth grade you just wore your gym clothes all day yeah but at a certain age it's like all right take off your sweaty gym clothes and <laughs> yeah. put on deodorant you can't your... go back and sit next to the girls Smelling that bad, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I remember a big thing for me when we first started changing was I would always have to wear boxers on the day of gym class. Why? Because I didn't want to wear tidy whiteies. Oh, that's so funny because looking back, now it's like the only day you want to wear tidy whiteies is, is gym day. <laughs> Why? Just in terms of like... To keeping keep everything junk in place, in place. Yeah. <laughs> our, our gigantic <laughs> 10 year old junk <laughs> just in case it drops during the 30 minute gym class you want to be ready oh hey what's up guys how are you <laughs> yeah that's so funny you would purposely wear boxers to not look like a loser yeah i think i wore okay. tiny whiteies once and i was like <laughs> Everybody's wearing boxers. So I got a pair of boxers and I just wore them every gym day. I'm surprised you even wore tidy whities. I feel like all your underwear was like Ninja Turtle underwear, Power Ranger underwear. I don't think they made everything. Like nowadays, if you like SpongeBob, you can get SpongeBob on anything. But I don't think it was like that back in the day. No, I think you're right. It wasn't. Plus, when your mom's still buying you underwear, that's a pretty big thing to be like, Mom. I don't want you to buy the same underwear you've bought me since I started using the toilet. <laughs> Wait, so why does this remind you of our fourth grade gym class? Just because it's like a, it shows scene from inside a school? Yeah, so <laughs> it shows like a, a day at high school pretty much. But then when you said unclean, I just thought about oh. wearing the same pair of boxers. <laughs> I mean, it was once a week, so they were washed every week. Yeah. But I had to plan out my boxer day. <laughs> That's so funny. So that we wouldn't make fun of you? Canada has Boxing Day. I had Boxer's Day. Uh, so that Mike Tubes wouldn't make fun of you? <laughs> yeah. 
Tube, stop bullying us for wearing tidy whities dude. <laughs> but yeah, the setting of the music video was at a preppy high school, and it was, you know, MCR, the weird kids that they don't care about fitting in. They just want to chill with their friends and do cool stuff. Well, speaking of all those relatable words that they would flash on the screen, I mean, the song itself was relatable. I think this is the first time I heard anybody say that it was okay to be different or is okay to admit that you're not okay, right? That's mm-hmm. obviously the course of the song. So in an interview before, Gerard Way actually said that he considered this like a self-help pop song. Like he wrote this so that kids could actually listen to it and be like, okay, I feel better about not fitting in. That's such a cool thing. That is cool. And I think it probably helped a ton of kids. I'm sure it did, yeah. Like we talked about on the Good Charlotte episode, it was huge to have these guys that you respected and looked up to say, I think it's cool that I'm weird. And I think it's cool that the kids that come to our shows wear what they want and and are who they are. Yeah. Jimmy World did the same thing. They had a couple songs that were like, it's okay to just be unique and be who you are, which was really cool. So this is one of those songs. I think this was, maybe that's why it was so popular because finally kids that were different had something to listen to and feel normal for once. Absolutely. Also the bridge, Mike, how many times have you just stopped and said, trust me? A lot. Yeah, that was a big part of the song. I feel like we said that constantly. The first time I watched it, I thought it was so funny. And then I just thought it was was so catchy. Yep. Like the way they just say, trust me. Like that's the whole bridge, right? And they go right back into the chorus. Well, they they slow it down first, I guess. It's definitely like the main part of the bridge. That's where they kind of build it back up. Right. Exactly. It was cool because he was sort of yelling, talking, and then the music cuts out and he just says a couple words. And it just was so different from any other song at the time. One final fun note on this one, Keenan. This song was also featured on the soundtrack of Burnout 3. Oh, really? Remember Burnout 3 from our Yellow Card episode with Charlie? Charlie? Yeah, Charlie was just talking about that. That's right. He wasn't kidding when he said that was a bomb-ass soundtrack. Yeah, we might actually need to review that because it sounds like it has some insane hits on it. I need to get a PS2. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Track number six, The Ghost of You. I 
I believe this was the fourth single, and it is also my favorite song on the album, Mike. Deal with it, dude. Oh, what do you know? Why? This isn't the most popular song. It's like the fourth most popular song. No, I was just, I was just happy for you. Oh, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I got similar vibes on this one to Helena, where it was a good mix of soft and heavy. It kind of goes back and forth between being slow and being upbeat and fast. Maybe not upbeat and fast, but being loud. And so it does have this different sound through it, this kind of cool progression. Yeah, it's another moody, melodic track. It is. He channels a lot of emotion in it, too, just like he did with Helena. It's like every single syllable he sings is taking every ounce of his strength. Mm -hmm. I love that about him. I love that he sings like that. And the verses, think of it as he lights a stick of dynamite, and the verse is the wick burning down, and each chorus is just this explosion of emotion. Yeah. Great imagery, Mike. Thanks. I am thinking about that. That's cool. And it's a story about finally accepting that someone you lost may never be coming back. So follow on from Helena and give him Hell Kid. I think those both sort of had a story of somebody dies. Now you're grieving them. You're hitting your worst moments thinking about them. And then Ghost of You picks it back up. And now it's like, okay, you're finally in the acceptance phase where they aren't coming back. I don't think you're actually over them. You're not happy about it because you're constantly haunted by their memory, but you just know that they're gone forever. It's a tough pill to swallow. It is a tough pill to swallow, and clearly Gerard Way is struggling with it. The line, at the end of the world or the last thing I see, you are never coming home, that always kind of fascinated me. So what's going to happen first? The world ends or your life ends? Mm. It's an interesting thought. What will be the last thing you see before you die? Yeah, that is weird to think about. I mean, you hope it's like you're 100 years old and it's all your family members smiling like you're the man. 100? Well, I don't know. That's being I think that's a safe, awfully positive, a safe ripe age. Safe ripe age, 100. But anyway, that juxtaposition at the end of the world or the last thing I see. It is cool. The music video. This is another one. I think this is actually the best music video too. My personal opinion. It is. The group is performing at a USO event. It's a World War II period piece, right? Mm-hmm. Takes place in 1940s America, and they're soldiers. They are. And I was wondering, is this stolen valor? <laughs> um, not if they're actors, I don't think. Okay. I don't think they're claiming to actually be in the military, Mike. I don't know. The special effects in this video make it pretty believable. <laughs> okay. Uh, So you think they were alive in uh, 1945-ish? In watching this film, I've been led to believe that. It is a cool depiction of the band. They're a lot more clean-cut and straight-laced. They are. Gerard Way almost has an Elvis look about him. You're right. His hair is kind of swooshed up and back down again. He grabs the microphone and does a little shimmy-shimmy-yah. Yeah, they're almost like a a swing band or like a doo-wop band or something. They have a cool vibe to them, but... The rest of the video is them storming the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. Right. It reminds me a lot of the movie Saving Private Ryan. Do you remember the opening scene of them storming the beaches? I mean, it's essentially just that. I think that's one of the most famous scenes in like cinematic history. It is, yeah. It's so poignant. But they try to recreate that, and they try to capture that emotion. And it's really sad. It's a really sad scene to look at. I'm sure My Chemical Romance is the kind of band that would have loved to have 
the production budget of Saving Private Ryan so they could have the same amount of guts just pouring out of people. But they didn't need it, Mike. <laughs> it was so good already. But I think I actually did read that the production budget on this music video was a million dollars. One million dollars? Uh, yeah, I don't have a concept of if that's a lot or not, but to me, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot for a music video. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I thought the same in watching it. I was thinking, this is 2004, 2005, so they probably could have done a lot of this on a green screen, but there was also a ton of action that I think would have to be recreated. Right. On an actual beach, you mean? Like, with real actors and etc. Absolutely, there was. One thing I was surprised about, the troops love My Chemical Romance. Which troops? The troops in this video. Oh, yeah. Like, as they're playing at the... Uh... As soon as the band starts to play, they all get up and dance. Yeah, well, they're playing this fun little uh, jivey song, you know? And then it shows the USO, whatever, the banquet hall fades away, and they leave their, their girls behind and go off to, you know, storm the beaches of Normandy. It's a cool transition between showing these men as civilians and then in the the middle of war. Yeah, there are scenes where... Gerard Way, I think it's Gerard Way, is consoling Mikey Way at the bar and saying everything's going to be okay. And then, of course, later in the music video, Mikey Way is the one who's shot and killed on the beach and everybody's trying to resuscitate him and bring him to safety, bring him back to life, which I don't think they're able to do. So yeah, it's a lot of sad emotions bouncing around this music video. There is. And going back to the line we were discussing, the end of the world or the last thing I see, there is one scene where a girl looks at one of the members for the last time and then he kind of disappears. So right. I think that's kind of cool. Really cool. The song's title is actually in allusion to an ad from Watchmen, which read, Oh, how the ghost of you clings. So that also goes back to Gerard Way and his obsession with graphic novels, comic books. Never knew that. I just thought that the ghost of you was a very appropriate title for a song with this type of content, but he actually pulled it from that. So Another little tidbit, Mike, that we're just nipping out of thin air. If I may, Keenan. Please. I think Watchmen also pulls that from an Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong song. Really? From back in the day. Wow, that's reference into reference there. So many layers. The winds of March that make my heart a dancer. A telephone that rings, but who's to answer? Oh, how the ghost of you clings, these foolish things remind me of you. I am not a big graphic novel person, but I have read Watchmen, and... If you're looking to try graphic novels, it's a great place to start because it's critically acclaimed as one of the best of all time. So I remember when I first read it, there are a ton of references that come up in that as well that you kind of have to backtrack and see because it's this dystopian past kind of, if that makes sense. So some things are based in reality. Some things are obviously completely written for the novel, but really cool just the connection that different pieces of art inspire in these different mediums. So you have a song inspiring a graphic novel, inspiring a song. It's crazy. Yeah. Whoa. Again, a lot of layers. 
Track number seven, the Jet Set Life is Gonna Kill You. Jet Set Life? What's that all about, Mike? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, Keenan. That's exactly what it is. Wow, nice. Good, uh, good reference there. Thanks, Keenan. The opening line of this song is gaze into her killing jar. I'd sometimes stare for hours. She'd even poke the hole so I can breathe. Creepy, right? Very creepy. I got the sense that this was about two people who are addicted to drugs constantly getting high together and that surreal feeling of just going up and down with this person. And then I also got the sense that it was possibly about somebody overdosing, like the singers or the narrators friend or significant other who they're doing drugs with probably OD'd and died. I can definitely see that. The killing jar I had to look up is a device used by entomologists to kill captured insects quickly and with minimum damage. So I took that as almost a different way of saying you're caught in somebody's web or you're trapped by this person. So whether that's through a relationship or through your shared drug use, you just feel like this is something that is inescapable. Yeah, well, they're both in this killing jar. They're both sort of trapped in this weird haze of drug use and dark emotions, right? The title is The Jet Set Life is Gonna Kill You. And I thought with that drug frame of reference, obviously wealthy people have access to the most dangerous pleasures like all sorts of drugs and expensive vehicles. And it just seems like that was his sort of comment. Like, if you have money you're more inclined to be into these sort of dangerous things. But it's interesting because given the persistent theme of, of death and loss on this album, I kind of started to attribute this to that theme as well. But I think the drug use makes more sense. There's one line that I interpreted a little bit differently, but rereading it now, it gives the weak flight, it gives the blind sight until the cops come or by the last light. And for the last night I lie, could I lie next to you? So I thought he might be alluding to death. Like in dying, the weak can fly, the blind can see. But it could also just be saying when you get really high or really messed up and alter your mind to this great of a degree, you become a completely different being. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Exactly right. And that makes the line about the cops coming make a little bit more sense, too. Well, the cops could come if somebody's dead. That's true. That's why I honestly combined them both. I thought it was about drug use and then about somebody overdosing. Because I thought it was both about drugs and death. So there you go. Right. It's unfortunate, but they do go hand in hand far too often. Yeah, no doubt. Track number eight, Interlude. Oh, a fun little interlude, Mike? What a fun little song to have in the middle of the album.
It's just a prayer, right? Or some sort of prayer? Yeah, it's short, Keenan, so I'll just read it to you. Go ahead, Mike. It's three lines. Saints protect her now. Come angels of the Lord. Come angels of unknown. I thought it was a creepy little prayer. It is. That's something you can say before bed and just fall right to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of like the idea of praying to the unknown because I think, not necessarily in my personal experience, but a lot of people, I think they kind of get held up on religion be- just because of the unknown, because of it's literally called faith because you have to believe in this uncertain thing. So I think praying to the unknown is kind of a nice middle ground, I guess you could hmm. say. Let's go way to look at it. This track fits into the same category as tracks like Introduction to Destruction on the Sum 41 album, whatever that hidden track was called on the Green Day album. A New Beginning. A New Beginning on the Good Charlotte album. Exactly right. It's just something to throw in there to have a little change of pace. Right. I think it serves its purpose perfectly. It's not going to be anybody's favorite song. It doesn't take up too much of the record, but its presence is, is welcomed. Welcome, interlude. That sounded very, like, ghoulish. It did sound ghoulish. Welcome. A welcome presence on the <laughs> album. Ooh. Uh, well, it's kind of what this track is. Mm-hmm. Track number nine, Thank You for the Venom. What a polite thing to say. I think this song's about the Viper Randy Orton. Oh, another wrestling reference, Mike? You must love wrestling, huh? I used to, Keenan. I still do. I just hate the current product. <laughs> AEW. AEW for life, baby. The intro to this song, I was totally surprised by, pleasantly surprised by. It was almost metal sounding. This actually sounded a lot like an Avenged Sevenfold intro to me. I think this is this week's doppelganger. The Avenged Sevenfold song, Unholy Confessions, starts in a very similar way. This is another song that it might not be drugs in this case, but maybe sedatives. And I got the image of almost like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where you're drugged down so much that your life has just become this canatonic, almost coma-like state. The chorus is, give me all your poison, give me all your pills, give me all your hopeless hearts and make me ill. You're running after something that you'll never kill. If this is what you want, then fire at will. Tell me if you see this the same way or not, but I think he's talking to a sister or a sibling or a family member. The first line is, sister, I'm not much. 
she's trying to help him get better with drugs or sedatives, but his only release from his mortal tortures will be death. Whoa. Is that too MCR of me? It's pretty MCR of you. I mean, I would not be surprised if that is what they were getting at, yeah. If this is what you want, then fire at will, then kill me. Yeah, you know? no, I, I think that's a really good interpretation. I thought of it less graphically, I guess. To me, it wasn't quite as dark, and I think you were probably listening to it in the correct frame of reference, the MCR frame of reference, but I thought it was more just about haters and people trying to bring you down. I heard the chorus, and I read those lyrics, and I thought it was more like, okay, throw everything at me. I can overcome all this. You're running after something that you'll never kill. If this is what you want, then fire at will. It's like sticks and stones, you know? That's what I kind of heard. I like that we can see it in different ways and still be friends. I mean, I hate that you didn't just agree with me then, but you know, it is what it is. Well, that's why I wanted to go first. Damn it. All right, I'm going first from now on. New rule. But yeah, so this kind of kicks off the second half of the album, and it does a really good job of at least getting me involved. I'm intrigued to see what's coming down the pike. Track 10, Hang em High. Here's our spaghetti western, Mike. Is a spaghetti western intro, Keenan. Got some whistling right into a big old scream out of our buddy Gerard. That's right, yeah. It's awesome. But the title Hang 'em High is appropriate because Hang 'em High was the 1968 film starring Clint Eastwood. That's right, yeah. Brief premise An innocent man barely survives a lynching. He returns as a lawman, determined to bring the vigilantes to justice. The vigilantes or the vigilantes? <laughs> Determined to bring the vigilantes. Wow, you just don't know how to pronounce that word. Vigilantes? Yeah. Determined to bring the vigilantes. You're kidding. Are you serious? (laughs) It's in my head, dude. Oh my God. Remember, it's vigilantes. Determined to bring the vigilantes to justice. I just did, did it. I know, but remember, it's vigilantes. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Determined to bring the vigilantes to justice. So I know we haven't talked, we haven't touched on the story of this album in a couple songs, but it kind of reminded me of that, a man trying to escape death by dedicating his life to bring evil men to justice. Oh yeah, I like that connection there. And it's not just him, right? It's an outlaw couple on the run. It's like them against the world. He's with her. They're sort of in this together, riding against evil people, riding against the bad guy. I got a real Bonnie and Clyde theme coming off of this. I did too. Exactly the same, yeah. But are they the good guys or are they the bad guys? I wasn't totally sure, actually. If they're outlaws, then they're the bad guys, right? They're probably running from the sheriff or the the law, you know? Johnny Law. 
oh, just because they don't agree with the institutions yes. that are holding them down, that's right, they're yes. the bad guys? Yes, that's right, yes. That literally makes them the bad guys, yeah. I guess it depends on who you ask. I'm asking the sheriffs. <laughs> okay, then yeah, they're the bad guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw this as he's trying to kill some people, trying to get what he wants, and she's in the getaway car ready to floor it. Did you get the sense, though, that at the beginning of the song, they were sort of in this together and they were, you know, doing this thing hand in hand and, oh, if I go down, go on without me. And I did get the sense by the end that he was betrayed by her. Did you get that too? It's like if you associate yourselves with bad people, then bad things will happen. Isn't that some sort of saying or some phrase? We're only as good as the company we keep. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Isn't that a phrase? Something like that. The reason that I thought that, Mike, is because the very end of the song, he repeats, she won't stop me, put it down. I almost feel like it was an altercation between him and her. I don't know. I'm not sure if I saw betrayal. I just thought it was him saying, if I fall off, keep driving, bury me, fade to black. I die, you go on. So I don't know. Maybe she did betray him. Maybe that's how his life does fade to black. Who's to know? Certainly not us doing this podcast. Uh, this is our job all of a sudden? Well, we have a pop-punk podcast. We have to analyze pop-punk all of a sudden on a podcast? Jeez, man. <laughs> Listeners are brutal. Black Mariah. Do you know who that is? No, it sounded like some mythical creature. Am I far off on that? Well, that's wrong, Mike. <laughs> There's one line that says, call her Black Mariah. Black Mariah is actually a supervillain. It's a character from the Luke Cage comics. The Marvel, uh, Marvel comic universe. So he calls her Black Mariah. That's like some supervillain. Yeah. I think it all points to her being a, a really bad guy in the end. What more evidence do you need, Mike? I think even though we, we're finding that a lot of the themes carry throughout each track on this album, I think each song is very different in its musical composition. And This one was definitely different, yeah. In my experience, the long titles make it a little bit difficult to remember like this song is called this but as soon as the first notes hit on any of these songs you're like oh man it's this one yeah this one is pretty clear this one's obvious yeah right track 11 it's not a fashion statement it's a death wish There's not anybody out there that actually thinks this is their favorite song, is there? It's like one of the worst on the album. Oh, it's so funny you would say that, Keenan. It was really hard for me on this album to pick my favorite song, but I finally decided that this was it. If I went back to which lyrics do I get stuck in my head the most, which music do I get stuck in my head the most, it was this one. This is my favorite song on this album. It's a deep track. It's not one that most people would say. 
I like that. Yeah, we can't all love the ghost of you. We can't, you're right. This was another song that I wrote my own lyrics to, the melody. Like when I was writing songs, quote unquote, or poems. <laughs> oh boy. I would do it to like a, a song in my head to help me like get the lines the right length. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear you're saying. So I remember I really like listening to this song. And I'm like, let me write my own version of this song. Do you still have it? It's somewhere, but I would have to dig for it. Yeah, you're going to have to do that because I'm going to have to read it now. I've tried to do it two or three other times and I just can't find it because... <sighs> Darn. But I'll look for it. Okay. Can I tell you what I think this is about and you can tell me if I'm completely wrong or if you agree? Sure. I think generally the theme is rising up from your ashes. So to me, this was another song where you're being beaten down to your lowest point, but you're able to overcome it. And I thought back to I'm not okay where they're talking about just being yourself and regardless of what bullies are going to say to you or what haters are going to say, doesn't matter how hard they kick you when you're down. You have to pick yourself up and keep going and keep your chin held high. And so that's what I thought a lot of this was about. In fact, the title itself was, I thought Gerard wrote the title based on something that he had actually heard a bully say to him based on something he was wearing. Like, Couldn't you imagine a bully being like, Oh, that's not a fashion statement. That's a death wish before he gives him a swirly or like a, a noogie or something. Yeah. But I do love that they're a band that can have those types of messages. It's a wholesome message. It is. I guess it's the same idea as the Phoenix rising from the ashes, but yeah, I just took it as all hardcore MCR that this guy is back from the dead. Yeah, rising from the ashes. Yeah. Right, but... Not ashes, just like walk from the grave. After your lowest moment, you're able to come back from it. I mean, the line is literally, I'm coming back from the dead and I'll take you home with me. I'm taking back the life you stole. This hole you put me in wasn't deep enough and I'm climbing out right now. You're running out of places to hide from me. Foreboding. It's very foreboding. This is one where I was brought back to the concept narrative of the album. It was pretty clear. I kind of forgot about it for a few songs, but mm-hmm. this one I think he was he was now trying to wrap up the album and now he needs to bring some sort of conclusion to it. So yeah, definitely a lot of lines about coming back to life after being dead, accomplishing this this goal. This song is very obviously a story and then it kind of reminds you, oh wait, there is a bigger story going on here. Yeah. Another line I really loved from this song, the opening lines, do you remember that day when we met, you told me this gets harder? Well, it did been holding on forever promise me that when i'm gone you'll kill my enemies (laughs) that last line promise me that when i'm gone you'll kill my enemies that was actually part of the vows that abby and i wrote for one another at our wedding (laughs) oh yeah i'm sure oh i remember everybody there was a loud gasp in the audience (laughs) baby promise me that when i die you'll kill my enemies yeah i don't know why i talked like that hey why did you talk like that? that was weird that wouldn't be a cool thing to say yeah, like a gothic wedding, sure. Avenge me, baby. Yours was not a gothic wedding. Avenge me. <laughs> I don't know if Abby would avenge you, to be honest. No, she'd be like... I think she'd probably let dead dogs lie. Yeah. <laughs> she would literally say, let that dead dog lie. <laughs> uh, kick some dirt on you. I don't really have much to avenge, I don't think. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> Track number 12, Cemetery Drive. Isn't that the road that you grew up on? Night, walk the dead, in the solitary, crash the 
This was a very close second for me. Yeah, I like this song a lot. Is it about a guy grieving over his girlfriend who had just committed suicide? Yeah, I kind of heard that too. Yeah, it's almost like he's drinking in a cemetery next to his girlfriend's grave, right? And he's trying to be close to her. And the reason that I thought it was about suicide in particular was because of these lines that are kind of spread out throughout the song. But And they found you on the bathroom floor singing songs that make you slit your wrists and then staring down a loaded gun. I mean, those were all things that pointed to his girlfriend or his wife committing suicide, moving on to the afterlife, and now him trying to get that love back. Not only do I think it was his girlfriend that might have committed suicide, but I think it was his girlfriend who was in the middle of a unfaithful relationship. Oh, really? Verse 1 says, This night walks the dead in a solitary style and crash the cemetery gates in the dress your husband hates. Oh, yeah. And then there's also the line, I miss you, I miss you so far, and the collision of your kiss that made it so hard. So I wasn't sure how I wanted to decipher collision of your kiss. I thought of it as being two objects violently crashing into one another. So yeah, what is the collision? A, a kiss is supposed to be passionate, but in this case, it was something to be ashamed of or to be hidden. So maybe... It created controversy and yeah. created problems for these people. Although I will say I have been told that the way that you kiss Mike is like a collision, basically. So I just run full speed ahead. Yeah. You just go straight in, you know? I lead with the lips. It's mostly teeth, I think, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just what I've been told. I don't know. I've lost a couple teeth. Who am I kidding? I've, I've never kissed a girl. Yeah, good point. No, I think you're totally right, though. I think this was, it might not have been a happy relationship, but... It did end. I think it ended in dark, mysterious, disturbing ways. And he's left picking up the pieces, right? Yeah, definitely. To what you had mentioned with drinking by the mausoleum door, kids in high school would find really weird places to go and drink. Mm. What was yours, Mike? I didn't have one. I never got invited anywhere. But I think by a mausoleum would be a good place. Maybe too many people wouldn't want to go searching around there at night. That's true. The groundskeepers might have a word for you, but true. it can be a real creepy place, a place to go on like Halloween, maybe. It was mostly just like random stretches of woods. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny looking back, like sneaking out of the house, lying to your parents just to go like... I didn't do that, but yeah, I know that you did. I didn't either. I just heard stories of kids that did. The popular kids? I honestly really didn't. I wish <laughs> I had. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, remember when those popular kids used to go out and drink and <laughs> next to the mausoleums? And and we would watch TGIF together if yeah. we were allowed? Well, not if we misbehaved. We, we didn't. <laughs> kids, man. Track 13. I never told you what I do for a living.
if you thought these guys were going to slow down for their last track, Keenan, then you were sorely mistaken. I did think that, so. You idiot, Keenan. I know, stupid. <laughs> Darn it. This is the final song on the album, Keenan, and I think I would like to mention the story one more time. I think ultimately the man failed in accomplishing his goals, killing a thousand souls to bring back to the devil to see his love again. There are multiple interpretations from what I was reading on how the story ends. One of which is the man finds out that he kills 999 people and he finds out that he is the 1000th person. Oh, so his death, it's like, it's a catch 22. Oh, so he's the last one dead. And so he doesn't get to go back now. Right. That's one theory. Mm. The other theory is, And this actually pulls from lyrics in the song, so I kind of think this makes more sense, is he does accomplish his goal and return back to life with the woman he loves, but it's all for naught as we see. And never again and never again they gave us two shots to the back of the head and we're all dead now. Mm. So in that theory, he makes it back, but then his transgressions catch up to him and him and his lover are both killed by... A lot of people out to get them, I'm sure. Johnny Law. That's right. Interesting. But a little bit, maybe reading further into that, the chorus is, and we'll dance along to the tune of your death. We'll love again. We'll laugh again. And it's better off this way. So maybe in death, they're finally together. Hmm. So it just depends on how you look at it, I guess. Yeah. Like I said, we could spend hours really trying to form the ultimate narrative around this, but... I take everything as I see it, and I think this is a nice way to tie this album up. So, Mike, since you were a little bit closer to this album and since you were a slightly bigger fan, and I know you've listened through it more times than I certainly did, why was this so different? What made this band and this album different from everything else we listened to then? Well, for one, these are some of the darkest songs we've discussed and probably will discuss. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. That aspect of it made it alluring for younger people. I had never listened to songs about killing people and slitting your wrist and they preface it kind of with like, oh, it's part of a story. So it's, you know, don't take it literally, kids. But like I said before, they walk the walk. These guys were real to this lifestyle. It seemed like this window into this world that I was not familiar with. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked with Tom when we said GC was kind of the first time we started shopping at Hot Topic. If GC got us into Hot Topic, MCR was like the dude working on Hot Topic, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like the owner of Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> we were there to buy a t-shirt. His whole wardrobe was black wristbands, studded belts, yeah, piercing. So I just thought these guys were awesome. I thought they were different. They were unique. And it started out as listening to them because I love the songs. And then I just thought they were just fascinating characters. 
I think what also made them different was the fact that Gerard Way and probably other members of the band, they did have deeper literary connections in their lyrics, in their songs, in their videos than we even knew at the time. And that's very clear today because obviously Gerard Way has a hit show that originated as a graphic novel. Those things come out in the music. And so those kind of weird connections, and it's a lot of gothic references, a lot of dark elements gives it another layer of meaning keeps it pretty interesting for sure i still would love to see them live to this day i saw them once it'd be really nice to check them out again one day mike to that point it is worth mentioning that they did break up in 2013 and from what i understand it was an amicable breakup it was just kind of the right time and i do love when bands organically and their tenure as a band. And so they did that. And they reunited almost one year ago to the day, October 31st, 2019. They announced that they were performing one show in December. And when tickets went on sale, it sold out within four minutes, despite the high ticket prices. I think the concert ended up grossing something like $1.5 million with an attendance of 5,000 people, something insane. And from there, they announced that they were then going to go on tour in Australia, Japan, New Zealand. And then following that, they announced a North American tour, which obviously was shut down due to COVID. But it just goes to show how relevant these guys still are, how popular they still are, and how this announcement that they're coming back together was this massive tidal wave through the pop punk community. COVID ruined a lot of stuff, a lot of live music, and I'm sure it will change how we enjoy live music in the future. I do remember these tickets going on sale and selling out within minutes because I was going to check out what the prices were and if they were within a decent range, try to go down to the Wells Fargo Center, maybe tailgate with the boys and catch an MCR show. But I think if you want to go to the show, you're probably going to have to get a second mortgage there, Mike. I think so. We may never be okay, Keenan. Trust me. That was a real spooky one, Mike. Very appropriate for the season. Try to stay out of trouble, kids. Check your candy for razor blades. That's right. I think there are bigger considerations these days than just razor blades, but that was episode 13. Kind of crazy thing about Mike. Next week for episode 14, we'll be talking about Panic at the Discos, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Is it hot in here or is it just me, Keenan? It's just you. Okay. Because you're hot. Oh, thanks, man. You too. Thanks, man. This isn't something we like to talk about, Keenan, but we do get pretty lonely in between episodes. Extremely lonely, Mike. So if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Pop Punk Project. Just check in, people. Just a quick hello, maybe a like, a share here and there. We're also on Patreon.com slash Pop Punk Project. And a new thing we're trying out, Keenan, is called Tip Jar. Tip jar is through our podcast hosting service. It's a one-time thing. So if you like an episode or you think we're doing a good job, it helps us 
ensure that we get to keep doing this every week, which is very important to us. But Not to mention, Mike, that we're going to need something to offset all these lawyers' fees after the pop punk bands start coming after us. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, who's going to do it first? It's probably going to be like the worst one. Yeah, for sure. But no, so if the monthly thing isn't your, your bag, you can give us a tip. And if you hate an episode and you think we suck, just charge us on Venmo and um, we'll hit you up. So I think that sounds pretty fair, Mike. I do want to send a massive shout out to our new video production crew member, Chris Ebers. Chris, thanks so much. Thanks for being a fan. Thanks for being a partner with us. Also, quick shout out to my dad. It was his birthday yesterday. Oh, happy birthday, Tim. Hope it's a good 39th. Will he be flattered by that? Yeah, I'm sure. Cool. He still gets carded at the liquor store, Keenan. I'm sure he does. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you had the time of your lives. Good riddance. Spooky. Spooky.